Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, Trinity Baptist Church. The Lord is with you. You know, it never fails. Somebody develops a product that is because of its either its high quality or costliness or because of whose name is signed on it as a designer, people develop products that are for the elite. And if you can afford it, you can buy it. But at the same time, those get developed and out on the market. Somebody always comes along and develops a knockoff because the bigger market just wants to look good. It doesn't necessarily have to have the real thing. Why spend all the money for a Rolex when a $50 knockoff would make you look just as classy? Why carry a Gucci bag when a knockoff would give you the same prestige? Why spend $300 on a pair of designer sunglasses when $15 and you look just as cool? Knockoffs are the way most of us, much of our, our culture lives. We are okay with the cheaper version that appears to be the real thing. You might make a trip down to Eisenhower Flea Market and pick up some of those things, or if you're too lazy to do that, you could go online. There actually used to be a website called knockoffs.com. I couldn't find it this week, but uh, there are cheap substitutes everywhere. Why pay the full price or the real thing when you can manage your image much more cheaply. Why do it? You can have people think you're something or someone you're not and not spend a lot of money doing it. Now, don't, don't raise any questions about ethics, whether buying those knockoffs helps support piracy and other sorts of things. You don't want the answer to that question. You just want to look good. And knockoffs are the way to go. We are a culture of shortcuts and cheap solutions and easy ways and imitations. And we're okay if something is not the real thing as long as it looks like the real thing and makes people think we have the real thing. Now, that might work okay with sunglasses and purses and golf clubs and watches, but knockoff substitutes for God are dangerous things. They are not the real thing, something entirely different. Israel discovered that out in the wilderness. They had been out there with Moses and met with God in this dramatic way at Mount Sinai, fire and smoke and thunder and lightning. And Moses had come down with the Ten Commandments and read those to the people. And they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And they entered into covenant with God. Now, Moses then went back up on the mountain for quite a while, around 40 days, to get some of the details filled, filled in about what life with this God was going to be like for his people. And while he was gone, the people got antsy, nervous. Moses wasn't coming down. The mountain was a scary place. He had brought them out to the middle of this place. What if he never came down? How would they find their way forward from this place? They were getting pretty anxious about it all. And so they went to Moses' brother Aaron, and they said to him, we want you to make us a God to go before us. Because as for this Moses, we don't know what's become of him. Now, Aaron should have said, not on your life. 
Don't you know what the covenant we've entered into? Don't you know the commandments you've agreed to? Not on your life. But Aaron said, all right, bring me your gold. And he took the gold and melted it down and put it in a mold and produced for them a golden calf. And he said to them, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He formed an idol for him. And he proclaimed that the next day would be a festival to Yahweh, to the Lord. But they would celebrate that festival to the Lord by worshiping the calf. Now, this is all in Exodus chapter 32, but meanwhile, up on the mountain, Moses is interacting with God. And God says, uh, this meeting is called to an abrupt halt. Your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have built for themselves a golden calf and are worshiping it, and I'm going to destroy them. Moses said, your people, who you brought out of Egypt have done this and God please forgive them and he pled with them and finally God relented and said you go down and straighten that out and so Moses did he confronted Aaron Aaron's one of the great liars of the Bible there are a number of them but he says to Aaron what is this you've done and he said the people are almost ready to stone me I, I just took their gold and threw it into the fire and out came this calf he, he really says that read it in Exodus 32 it was a moment where Israel, anxious as they were in the wilderness, took a downhill slide that looked like Wall Street on a bad day. They were not performing well as the covenant people of God. And it's understandable behavior in the wilderness to some degree. We get into that in-between place between Egypt and Canaan, between having lost one thing and not yet having arrived and being unsure of ourselves and unsure of what God is doing and we can get panicky in the wilderness we can start to demand that God meet our needs we want instant gratification in our fear in that land between Egypt and Canaan we can insist on a God who will do what we want go where we want to go and not cost us much. A God who will make our pain go away in the confusion and take away our discomfort. That's what we want from our God. We can demand a different kind of God, a substitute, a knockoff. What we're really looking for in those times in our life is a remedy, not God, not a person. And that kind of demand is deadly. It was for Israel in the wilderness when they willingly substituted a knockoff God for the real thing, they violated a number of the commandments in the covenant. You know, the first commandment, which is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. That's a commandment against worshiping the gods of the nations. No other gods. Never God and. The Hebrew expression of that is you shall not have another God before my face. Nothing that obscures our relationship. There is never in biblical religion God and. This is a commandment for monotheism, having one God and only one God. D. Elton Trueblood, the Quaker philosopher of religion, writing about the first commandment said, There's a, there is a real difference between the number one and all other numbers. 
one is singular and all the rest are plural. Just as there's a difference between in the ancient world, a man who had one wife because he gave his love and affection only to one woman and a man who had two wives. More difference between those two than a person with two wives and 20 wives. Because once you've learned to divide your affection or tried to, the number could go on and on. And it doesn't work any better, well, it doesn't even work as well with God as it does with husbands and wives. One God, Israel is told, you're to have no other gods before me. In our culture, we always want God added on to something or something added on to God. I would not ever put and after the word God in any sentence if I, if I were smart. God and country, God and anything, don't, they, doesn't go together biblically. You shall have no other gods in, before my face. That's the first commandment. It forbids the worship of the gods of the nations or any other gods. But the second commandment, is a commandment against idolatry in another form. And that's what Israel is facing here. Exodus 20 verse 4 says, You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Now how does that commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol, differ from the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. If they meant exactly the same thing or were referring to the same thing, Anyone who kept the first commandment would never violate the second commandment. If you weren't worshiping any other gods, you would certainly not have any idols. But really, the two are distinctive. They are two separate things. The first deals with the worship of false gods, and the second deals with the false worship of the one true God. The first one focuses on God's priority in our life. You shall have no other gods before me. The second focuses on God as God and his right to rule sovereignly over his people. He needs to be fully God. He can only do that if he's allowed to be sovereign over our lives. And a knockoff God will not do. Turns into a puzzling situation when you read those commandments. The commandment against idolatry is the most frequently violated and frequently discussed commandment of the 10 through the rest of scripture. Israel struggled with idolatry all through the wilderness, into the land of Canaan, into the period of conquest, during the period of the judges, when the kings came along, the united monarchy with David and Solomon, and then when the kingdoms divided all the way up to the Assyrians conquering the northern kingdom and the Babylonians conquering the south, the issue among Israel's experience with God was idolatry. They violated the first two commandments in one way or another. That's a puzzling thing because that's so central to this biblical story. And yet, whenever we think about the commandments, that's not one we give much thought to. We move on to honoring father and mother and not committing adultery or taking God's name in vain. But those first two commandments, at the basis of all the others, we tend to ignore. We often forget that it seems so crude we think we would never do that but the reality is we violate the first commandment when we put an and after god we violate the second when we formulate either through our thinking our actions our worship our own golden calf a knockoff version of god to get us by it's a dangerous thing we do 
Knockoff versions of God are cheap. They don't demand much of us, but they're ultimately useless for a lot of reasons. One is the knockoff versions of God that we form with our mind and our thinking are, are they limit our conceptions of God. They put them in a box as if we could contain him there. St. Augustine in the fourth century observed that it's not possible for the finite human mind to comprehend the infinite God. It, it, it would be like trying to pour the Gulf of Mexico into a shot glass. It just won't work. We can't completely comprehend the God of the universe. When we try to do that or claim to do that, we're more like the blind men and the elephant in the old parable. You remember that, trying to describe an elephant. And one grabs the elephant's leg and says, I know what an elephant's like. An elephant's like a, a tree. And then someone else feels of the elephant's side and says, no, 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 you're all wrong. An elephant's more like a wall. And one grabs the tail and says, no, you're, you're wrong. The elephant is, is more like a, a rope. And one grabs the trunk and says, no, no, an elephant's like a snake. They each took the little part they understood and tried to project that and say, now I've got a complete understanding of what an elephant's like. Well, we do that with God all the time. The little bit that we grow to understand about God, we think suddenly we have completely and entirely understood God. And that is the step toward building a golden calf, a concept of God. You notice when Israel built the calf, they didn't say we're going to worship Baal. They said we're going to worship Yahweh. We want a God who will go before us, who brought us. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. This is Yahweh. We're going to have a feast for Yahweh and gather around the golden calf. It's when we take the one true God and reduce God to a few human conceptions or to an idol that we violate the commandment. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, what was he like yesterday? Moses gathers the people in Deuteronomy before they enter the promised land and reminds them of their history over the past 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and their experience with God. And in Deuteronomy 4, he says this, Take care and watch yourselves closely, so as neither to forget the things your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Remember how you once stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, or Mount Sinai, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people for me, and I will let them hear my words, so they may learn to fear me as long as they live on the earth and may teach their children so. You approached and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain was blazing up to the very heavens, shrouded in dark clouds. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sounds of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, which he charged you to observe. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on the two stones. What was he yesterday? Was he did he appear as, as a god of gold or bronze or stone or wood? Did he look like a bull to you? Was there an image up there that you saw? No. He was fire, not stone. Fire is this amazing chemical reaction that just attracts us. It's, we have fireplaces in our homes, even in Texas, when we don't need them. 
We love to sit around campfires. There's something about fire. It's constantly changing, but always the same. It's mysterious. You can't really contain it. And you can't take, if you took a photograph of a, a fire at one point, it would be different the very next millisecond. Changing, but remaining the same. Light and heat, but not something that you can just control in your mind. Now, nobody sits around like that and stares at brick walls. Not sane people. Bricks and stones, idols, they just stay there. But fire is alive. What did you see when you were at Horeb? You saw fire, you heard a voice, but you saw no form. God is like that. He's ever-changing, ever-revealing. He's never holding still so we can get hold on him. The images that we turn to in trying to talk about God are metaphors and analogies and similes. We use words and language and poetry and prophecy, not wood and stone to express who our God is. We have to rely on these things that give way to yet another image in just a second. We, they appear for a time, express, express a bit of the truth, and then they're gone. God's mysterious. Sometimes that's not good enough for us. Sometimes we humans in our fear and our panic want something a little more tangible, something that will hold still, something that we can contain in our own minds. And that's when we build our knockoff gods. We want sometimes a conception of God that has no more mystery, nothing unexplained. And like Israel, we turn to the image. Knockoff gods by definition can't be any more then we make them so they're confined to our own limited understanding. As it turns out, the wilderness experience is an absolutely necessary place for coming to understand about the mystery of God and the nature of God, knowing God as God truly is, not as we would make him. There are things we cannot know about God except in the wilderness. How do we know that God is provider except that we come to a place where we have deep needs that aren't being met and we turn to God? How do we understand God as guide except that we find ourselves lost at times and wondering where to go next and we turn to God and ask for direction? How do we come to understand God as the, the one who feeds our soul and quenches our thirst but that we are hungry and thirsty? How do we come to understand God as protector except that we find ourselves ourselves in places where our souls or lives are endangered. It is in the wilderness that we are in a place where we have a chance to meet God as God truly is, not the God who makes us comfortable, but the God who comforts us, which is a very different thing. Knockoff gods put God in a box, and we're told not to do that. Knockoff gods conform to our culture's terms. We conform to the ways of the nation. Why did they choose a bull? Well, that's, bulls were used all over that ancient Near, Near Eastern world to express one God or another. They just used the culture's image and said, this is your God, O Israel, who's brought you out of the land of Egypt. They were a few months away from a culture in Egypt that was steeped in idolatry, had scores of gods. And they had breathed that air and drunk that water, lived in that culture for a long, long time. Their culture had seeped into their pores. That's the nature of human cultures, all of them, including ours. We grow up in it. We breathe its air. We drink its water. We are engaged in it most of the time during our life. And to think that we are somehow immune from its negative sides, it's idolatrous sides, is a huge misunderstanding. You and I are steeped 
in our culture every bit as Israel was steeped in Egyptian culture. And the unnatural thing, the unnatural thing is for us to live with the kind of anti-idolatrous mindset that the commandments call for. The pressure is to do theology in a fashion that conforms to popular ideas about what God is like. Our culture's terribly spiritual. I mean, I mean that, terribly spiritual. Our culture is not, not uh, is conversant with, with God and spiritual things. One of the phrases that floats around these days are people who's, who don't go to church. They don't invest in a community of people. They are spiritual, but not religious. You've heard that term? Spiritual, but not religious. One of my friends described that phrase as a lot of noise at the shallow end of the pool. Uh, yes, you can be spiritual. You can go out and look at the the creation, you can sit down and have your meditation exercise. None of that demands anything of you. It doesn't demand that you love one another. It doesn't demand that you love your enemy. It doesn't ask you to bear a cross and follow after Jesus Christ. It doesn't call you to suffer patiently as one of God's people. That's a shallow, shallow kind of understanding. But that's our culture's theology, what God is like. God is there just to make us comfortable, help us feel spiritual and be at peace it's not the God in the scripture. It's not where Jesus was hanging on a cross. The God of the culture is a success God. He wants you to have your best life now. He wants you to, to win every time you, you go out to play. He wants you to uh, be able to score a touchdown and look up and point to heaven because he's your God who is giving you all of those things, all that success. That's the culture's God. The God who lets you name it and claim it. He's the God who doesn't take sin seriously. He just wants you to feel comfortable and happy and peaceful. There's no cross involved in the God of our culture. He's a God like the nations, the God identified with our culture, our government, our way of life. He's the God who checks your passport to see if you're one of his, not your heart. He's the God who checks the color of your skin to see if you deserve his grace. That's the God of the culture. He's the God who tends to hate all the people we happen to hate. It's not the God of Scripture. And when we choose knockoff gods, we generally choose gods that conform very much to the way the culture thinks about what God ought to be like. Those are golden calves. They look good if you want to impress people with your religion, but they're not the real thing. Psalm... Uh, one of the Psalms describes here, I, I guess, what I would call met God, okay? Uh, the cultural God. Nothing like Yahweh, the God of Israel. The psalmist said, our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Or noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They make no sounds in their throats, and those who make them are like them. So are all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord, Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. Knockoff gods are the products of our culture and our wishes, but they are not the real thing. Knockoff gods keep our religion comfortable. They keep God under control. Israel called the golden calf Yahweh. They called him that, and we can 
wear Jesus on our t-shirts and carry flags with his name on it, but the God that, whose name happens to be there doesn't often correspond with the God who is revealed in Scripture who has that name. Cultural gods use Christian vocabulary, but not the biblical dictionary. And we have to be careful with that. We try to keep God under control. Like Israel with the golden calf, we want a God we can control. They said, make us a God who will go before us. Didn't they have a God who went before them? That's how they got there. Pillar of fire by night, pillar of smoke by day. But you never knew when that God was going to move. You might have just settled camp and the, and the pillar begins to move and you have to pack up again. Or you might be ready to move on and it just stays there. That's the living God who was with Israel. But they want a God they could control. When you have one that's made out of gold, you can say, hey, let's uh, take our God and go. And you pick him up and you carry him forward. You have God under control, something more tangible. That's the essence of some of our religion, the effort to control God, to know exactly what God would do in any and every situation, to know what God thinks about every issue, to have God under our control. That's idolatry. And it's the temptation in the wilderness. It's a temptation to control and enslave God. I tell you, there's a real problem with following the living God, the resurrected Christ. The problem with the living God and the resurrected Christ is you can't control him. He goes before us when he goes before us. He shows up when we don't want him to show up. We can't force him to show up and do anything that we demand. He is the living God. He is the risen Christ. The problem with following the knockoff gods are that they're dead. They have mouths, they can't speak, they have hands, they can't feel, they can't do anything for us except make us look good as knockoffs. They're powerless. I guess the worst thing about knockoff gods, though, is that they rob God of God's uniqueness. The biblical word for God's uniqueness is holiness. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, described God's relationship to all of creation. He, he said there is an infinite qualitative difference between God and all else. Infinite difference, a qualitative difference. God is not a big man up in the sky. He is not a grandfather with a beard. He is not Santa Claus. He is not reduced to some kind of image like that. He is the God who permeates the entire universe powerfully. He has created it with his very thoughts. He is holy. Is Isaiah described God, his favorite term for God was the Holy One of Israel because he had met him in the temple and he had heard the angels crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. God's holiness is that word that expresses his infinite qualitative difference between God and all else in creation, the Holy One of Israel. And when we reduce him to a set of concepts, to a creed, to our own ways of doing things in our culture, we, we have robbed God of God's holiness. We've made God something we can control. We've made him a God who makes us comfortable. We've made him a God that conforms to our culture. We've put God in a box, and that's idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 7, Paul comments on this experience of Israel in Exodus chapter 32, and he said, these things occurred as examples for us so that we might not desire evil as they did, do not become idolaters as some of them did. 
image-making prevents God from possessing us with his love. And he is jealous. He says so in the second commandment. I'm a jealous God. And that jealousy is that he knows that those other gods are no good for us, and he loves us. It's like the father in Jesus' parable backwards. He, God's not going to give us a snake when we ask for bread. He won't let us. He'll try to keep us from having the snake. We need the bread. He's jealous for us, meaning that he loves us so very much, and he knows that all these knockoff versions of God and all the gods of the nations are no good for us at all. And so he moves to judge idolatry. He brings it, he calls it into account. There are consequences to choosing to live with a knockoff God, and we need to be wary of those. To make a knockoff God, to accept a substitute for the living God, to limit ourselves to the gods that we create with our own hands or our minds or our culture, to keep us, they keep us from the worship of the one true God and from God himself. And the God of our own hands comes between us and the God whose hands formed us. How do you avoid that dangerous practice? Because my goodness, we want to do that, don't we? There are things to keep in mind. One is to pay attention to a phrase that Martin Luther used in the Reformation. God, let God be God. Let God be God. Give up the efforts to control and fully define and fully comprehend. Live with the mystery of who God is. You find that in Scripture. God is God and I'm not. Be alert. Be aware of the cultural pressure to worship the generic God, the God of civil religion, the God who has no definition, the God who's just an empty word that's used all the time in our culture, in our politics, in our business. God is defined in Scripture as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a very specific being in the universe. He's not just God. He is God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Practice obedience rather than seeking comfort. Uh, saying yes to all God wants for our lives is the way forward to letting God be God. Not telling God what we will or, or won't do. And worship. So we, one of the reasons we come in here every week. One of the reasons that we sing the songs that we sing and read scripture and listen to the, uh, scripture read and taught and prayed. One of the reasons we do that is because we've sp just spent... We got 168 hours a week. Well, 160 of those, some of them were asleep. I'll, give, I'll grant us that. But the others, we're immersed in that culture. We're breathing its air. We're hearing its voices. We're listening to it. It's shaping us. And it's like driving your car down a really bumpy country road over a period of time. Sooner or later, you're going to need an alignment. And that's why we come to worship, to get realigned to be reminded of who God is and what God is like and who we are as his people and who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need worship as a way of avoiding idolatry. Worship God and look to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we know how God has revealed himself is in Jesus Christ. Read the gospels, walk with him, listen to him, pay attention to him. Look at his love, look at his compassion. See how he deals with his enemies. See how he deals with his friends. See what he calls us to. Jesus is the full revelation of God, the most that we can possibly understand about God. Any description of God that is not in line with who Jesus was revealed to be is an idol. Jesus has shown us what we can know 
about God. And that's where we go to learn of him. This is no knockoff cultural God, but the, the living, breathing, resurrected Christ and Lord of the universe. So when we're in the wilderness, we want that God to go before us, not some handmade one, not a knockoff, not a substitute. We want the real thing when we're in the wilderness. And that means we have to not yield to the temptation to take a cheap substitute. The God of sovereignty and glory is not a caricature or an imitation. This God is the real thing. Let's pray together. Holy Father, when we're frightened and walk in desert places and when we do not know our way, we are often confused. When we cannot understand your ways, when we cannot always sense your presence, we will sometimes grasp for something else to secure us rather than trust you. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, for attempting to confine you with wood or stone or our own limited ideas. Forgive us, Father, for letting a selfish and consuming culture form the ways we think of you. Forgive us, Lord, for our attempts to control you with words and formulas, even with our prayers. And forgive us for exchanging the wonder of who you are for anything in creation. Let us come to know you in our wilderness more and more clearly in the face of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.